shadow of the Almighty. And then look at all the promises that are in there. Don't have to be afraid of the terror of the day, the fire by night, the pestilence, all of these different things. So as stuff begins to ramp up, you know, we can just stay in that place, in that land of Goshen, where there's a hedge of protection around us. Amen? Praise God. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, we thank you that you want to speak to our hearts today. We thank you, Lord, that you have things that you want to, to stir in us. And so, Lord, we thank you for that right now. We thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in the earth. We thank you, Lord, for how you're moving. We thank you, Lord, that, that there will be a day of vengeance. There will be a day of reckoning, a day when you will finally settle the accounts, the issues, and finalize your kingdom, your authority here on the earth. We thank you, Lord, that that day is approaching. And as you said in your word that we are to continue to come together. Let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves as we see that day approaching. So, Lord, we thank you that we can get together and assemble and have fellowship. We thank you, Lord, that as we come together, as we fellowship, as we get in your word, as we worship you, as we fellowship with one another, as we speak the word to one another, we thank you, Lord, that you take remembrance of that. And that our names are written in your book. And the promise you gave is to those who do that, that you would spare them. And that you would gather them up as your jewels. So Lord, we thank you for that. That we are in that place through the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. Turn with me this morning to Isaiah chapter 61. What's interesting about the time that we're in is even though there's things going on, even though we see the, the judgment, we know the end is coming, yet we are still in this time of the Lord's favor. We're still in that favorable year that Isaiah talks about. Here in Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1, Isaiah says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. I like how the Amplified reads that. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed and commissioned me to bring good news to the humble and afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the wounds of the brokenhearted, to proclaim release from confinement and condemnation to the physical and the spiritual captives and freedom to prisoners. And then verse 2, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. Had to throw that right in there. <laughs> so in the midst of God doing all these good things, there is a vengeance. 
that's coming as well. He goes on to say, to comfort all who mourn. In verse 3, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. That word acceptable means pleasure, delight, favor, goodwill, acceptance, to be pleased with, be favorable to, to accept favorably. So the Lord calls this time the favorable time of the Lord. Now, it's interesting how this was written because Isaiah is an interesting prophet. He, his, his ministry was roughly around 740 B.C. to about 687 B.C. He was, he was you know, in the temple in the Lord's day. He was, um, he, he was very involved with the, the priesthood. He was also involved in the political realm. He had access to the kings and the royal people in the throne room and things like that. But he was also a part of the priesthood, so he was very involved with that. And so here God's using him at this time. He was, he was a, a prophet over at least four kings during the time of Judah and over one of the kings of the northern Israel. And so here, really they say his ministry began in Isaiah 6 when he was in the temple on the Lord's day. This was after King Uzziah had passed away. And while he was in the temple, he saw the Lord. And he saw him, his train fill the temple. And he saw this glorious presence of God. And it moved him so much that he yielded. He gave himself to God and he said, Lord, uh, use me. Whatever you want to do, use me. And the angel in there took a coal off of the altar and it touched his lips. And it made him clean. And of course, that's when he began to prophesy and God used him and I, the book of Isaiah is kind of divided into three parts they call it Isaiah 1 Isaiah 2 and Isaiah 3 and Isaiah 1 and Isaiah 2 is all kind of during a uh, him speaking out against social justice, against uh, corruption within the priesthood, within the political, within the king's uh, realm. And, 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 and then while he was speaking out to those things, he began to warn them of the coming attacks of the Assyrians and eventually the Babylonians, and then they would be going into exile. But then the third part of Isaiah is interesting because even though he was writing it at a certain time period, really what he was doing is he was prophesying of a future event and he was giving them promise after they had gone through the exile of God bringing them out, restoring them. But then the double reference goes all the way to the millennium. You know, prophecy is kind of an interesting thing. It's, it's like... This, let's just say this room is a prophecy. And in this room you have windows. And you can look out this window and that's the past. And you can look out those windows and that's the present. And then you can look out that window and it's the future. And then there's multiple windows so you can look at the future 100 years from now and a future 500 years from now. And then when they're talking... 
and giving that prophecy, in that prophetic discourse, they can go from the past to the current to the future to the way future all in the same sentence or paragraph. And so sometimes it's kind of hard to, to navigate through a prophecy because where does it, what does it pertain to? But see, God is, there's no time with God. God's the beginning and the end. I'm the Alpha, the Omega. He sees it all. It's all very clear to him as though you're sitting in this room right now and everything is very clear to you what's going on right now. Well, God sits in, in, in eternity and he sees everything from the beginning to the end all at once. That'd blow my mind away. <laughs> So when you look at some of these prophecies, it's, you know, it's like, okay, where, where does this fit on the timeline? So here in Isaiah 61, he's giving a prophetic word that's going way into the future, the, the, the return of, of exile of being in Babylon, but then it goes all the way to the millennium. But then within that, there's this chapter, the verse 1 and 2, that goes right into the time of Jesus. So if you look over at Luke chapter 4, 14 through 30. Luke chapter 4, 14 through 30. Some Bible scholars say that, you know, Isaiah wasn't very popular because of his warnings. And they kind of got fed up with him. So they decided to stop him from his prophecies. So they kind of stretched him out, took out a big saw and cut him in half. <laughs> so, uh. We see a reference that in the, in the Hall of Faith, fame, sawed asunder. I think that was referring to Isaiah. But now here we are. Six hundred and seven hundred years later, 730 years later, Jesus... In verse 14, then Jesus went back to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. And news about him spread throughout the entire region. So apparently, some, he was doing things. We don't really see that here, but obviously, you don't spread news about something that isn't happening. And whatever he's doing, it's a manifestation of the power of the Spirit. And so word's getting out. This Jesus is starting to do things. He's, he's starting to operate in supernatural power. And where the children of Israel are at this time is they're waiting for the Messiah. They, they know that a Messiah is going to come. They know that another king is going to come. He's going to sit on the throne of David. He's going to be of the lineage of David. He's going to sit on that throne. He's going to set up his kingdom. He's going to subdue all the Gentiles. And he's going to set up the, the Israel kingdom that's going to rule forever and ever. 
Well, yes, but maybe not exactly how they thought. They didn't pay attention to a few scriptures in Daniel. <laughs> they, missed, they overlooked a couple of those. And so, and it, it wasn't that uncommon at that time for different ones to rise up and try to create some type of revolt, some type of movement. Even after Jesus was crucified, there were false Christs that, kept, that would pop up and kind of get a crowd going and get a group going and try to do things, and then eventually it would squelch out and, and turn into nothing. But they're getting excited because this is not just somebody that's out there saying stuff and has good ideas and good philosophy and can really speak with, you know, with boldness and, and persuasiveness. This is somebody that's actually performing miracles. Nobody else can do that except those that are anointed of God. And he began teaching in their synagogues and was praised and glorified and honored by all. Things are going good. His ministry is growing, expanding. People are receiving. They're responding. This is getting exciting. Verse 16, so he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up and he was as and as was his custom... He entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. The scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll, and he unrolled it, and he unrolled it. He went all the way to the end, to chapter 61, which actually there was no chapters back then, but, but he had to unroll all the way. And then he found the place where it was written. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, the Messiah, because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to announce release, pardon, forgiveness to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at free those who are oppressed, downtrodden, bruised, crushed by tragedy. To proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. The day when the salvation and the favor of God abound greatly. Then he rolled up the scroll, having stopped in the middle of the verse. Now notice when we read in Isaiah 61, it went a little further. But here he stopped. He didn't want to bring up the day of vengeance. Because that's not what this coming was all about. This coming that he was announcing to them and, and proclaiming to them was not a coming of judgment. That is coming. But this coming was a coming of the favor of the Lord. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and he sat down to teach. And the eyes of all those in the synagogue were intently fixed on him. Because they all knew what this verse related to. He reached into that prophetic verse in Isaiah. 
And interesting about Isaiah's writings, he is quoted, Isaiah is quoted more than any other prophet in the Old Testament in the New Testament by the apostles because of all of his prophetic writings about Jesus. And so here they know exactly what this verse pertains to. And now he's really got their attention because he basically came out and said, hey, guys, everything you've been looking for, it's right here. This is it. Now, at that moment, if they truly believed it, the place would have broke loose in the static, joyous jubilation. There would have been worship and praise and excitement, and everybody would have been coming up to him and asking him questions and, and uh, just, oh, you know, this is so excited. We're so happy. This is it. We've been waiting. We've been praying. We've been fasting. We've been doing all this for, for this day, and it's here, and, and you're, you're announcing it right here in our midst. Oh, didn't go over that way. <laughs> you know, they, they were looking at him. They were giving him that look like, huh, what, you? Isn't, isn't that Joseph's son? Isn't that, the, you know, didn't he make a table for you one day? Didn't he build some cabinets for you one day? We saw him playing ball out here when he was a little kid. But the problem with that is they were, it wasn't that they were trying to figure it out, it's that they were resisting it. Like, we can't accept what you just said because of this, because of that, because this situation, or what we saw here, or what we heard there. You know, how many times does God speak things to us? How many times is God trying to move us and lead us to do his will, to follow him, to obey him? And we say, eh, you know, it, you know that, that's, that's fine for somebody else, but not for me. My situation is a little different. My circumstances are a little more challenging. It's not, maybe that'll work for Paul over there, or maybe that'll work for Dan over there, but, you know, or... Or Ted way over there, but you know, not not for me. Because my situation is a little different. We have to watch that. We have to be very careful of that. Because that what that does is it takes us out. See, everything that God does in our midst in this age, he does it through the free will of human man. Now, God is still sovereign, and, he, and in his sovereignty, he can do things. He can send angels. He can call who he wants to call, anoint who he wants to anoint. We see in, in Corinthians, he gives the Spirit. The Spirit gives the gifts as he wills. We see the sovereignty of God working through, the, through humanity and on the earth, but, he's, but when it's coming into our life and it's coming through us and it's coming to us, we have a will in the matter. Will we accept? Will we yield? Will we follow? Will we go with this? And right then and there. Now, as I've been meditating on this, I just was wondering, what if? What if they got excited? What if they got up in full assurance of faith and embraced who he was, what he said right at that moment. 
what would have happened? Would the story have been written a little differently? Where would it have gone from there? You know, when Jesus came into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, riding on a colt, and they were taking the palm trees and laying them down and saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Not everybody was there. It was just a small group. It wasn't the Pharisees. It wasn't the kings. It wasn't the leaders in the land. It was those humble, those that were open, those that were receptive. And they were there welcoming him. But he said to Jerusalem, not to those that were there, but he looked at Jerusalem and he said, if you would have known the day of your visitation, you would have found your peace. How different it would have been, right? What would have happened if all of Jerusalem came that day to welcome him as king? What would have happened if Adam said, Eve, don't eat that? <laughs> the story would be different. Of course, God sees the beginning from the end, so he knows what's going to happen. But the opportunity was right there. There was an opportune moment right there that was available that if they would have grabbed it, something would have changed. Something would have been drastically different. And now what's interesting is what Jesus begins to say here. In verse 23, he says, So he said to them, You will no doubt quote this proverb to me. Physician, heal yourself. Whatever miracles that we heard were done by you in Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. Then he said I assure you and most solemnly say to you, no prophet is welcome in his hometown. But in truth, I say to you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the sky was closed up for three years and six months, when a great famine came over the land, and yet Elijah was, was not sent by the Lord to a single one of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of Elisha the prophet, and not one of them was cleansed by being healed except Naaman the Syrian. Because what he was saying is, if God should have done something to heal or provide, it should have been for his own people, the people who know him, the people who, who recognize who he is, who have access to him, who have a covenant with him. Any, those people should have been the one that he would have came to. But none of them were open. None of them were responsive. None of them reached out. None of them believed. None of them trusted. So he had to go outside and go to another people, a Gentile, and do a work there. 
And he was prophesying, this is what's going to happen. I want to do this with you, he's saying to Israel. I want to do this with you. There's a covenant that we have between God and Abraham, and it pertains to you. And I want to do this to you. But if you're not going to respond, if you're not going to receive, if you're not going to open up, if you're not going to believe, if you're not going to grab a hold of it, then I'm going to go to someone else. I'm going to go to them. Because I'm going to do it one way or another. <laughs> I'm going to do it. I'm going to be God. I'm going to do the acceptable year of the Lord. I'm going to open the prison doors. I'm going to set the captives free. I'm going to open the blind eyes. I'm going to heal the brokenhearted. I'm going to do it. But who am I going to be able to do it to? Well, they didn't like this. They took offense to it. As a matter of fact, when they heard these things about God's grace to these Gentiles, the people in the synagogue were filled with great rage, and they got up and they drove him out of the city, led him to the crest of the hill on which their city had been built in order, in order to hurl him down the cliff. But passing miraculously through the crowd, he went on his way. I got to watch that video sometime in heaven, right? How did he do that? <laughs> They're all there pushing each other, you know, everybody's pushing each other. Jesus is just doo -doo -doo -doo, walking. <laughs> and they get done pushing and they go, wait a minute, where'd he go? <laughs> you got... <laughs> but he, you know what the Lord is saying is this is the acceptable year of the Lord. We're still in that time. No matter how dark it is out there, no matter how much sin ramps up in the world around us, no matter how many tough situations you go through or things that come against you or fight against you, you are still in the acceptable time of the Lord. You're still in the time where God wants to heal you, where God wants to provide for you, where God wants to bless you, where God wants to restore things, where God wants to minister to you and strengthen you and use you and work through you to do the same thing to other people. We're still in that time. No matter how dark it is. You know, when you read through the Old Testament, you see how they went into exile, and you see how wicked it was, and how evil and how oppressed it was, yet still within those situations, within those wickedness, within those domains, you got men like Daniel, Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, who are doing amazing things, and God is blessing them. And that's who we are. So no matter how ugly it's going to get, no matter how much we're going to have to see things and, and hear things and, and how wicked it's going to get, it doesn't matter. We are still in the acceptable year of the Lord. We still have the favor of God upon us. We still have the blessing of the Lord upon us. We still have his provision. We still have his purpose. We still have his plan. And we have his power to demonstrate miracles in his name. Because we are in the acceptable year of the Lord. And where the devil tries to complicate things is through our own disobedience. Because in our own disobedience, it affects our 
ability to receive, just like Brother Austin was exhorting us in the beginning of the service. We have to receive. Jesus said, freely you receive, freely you give. Now, all of us have messed up. All of us, you know, is there anybody in here? Is there anybody in here who has hit every target of what God wants to do, obeyed everything he said, just did it exactly the way he told you to do it? Is there anybody in here? Please stand up. Now look around. Do you see anybody standing? I mean, I better sit down. <laughs> right. We've all missed it in some area, some place. And so the devil tries to take that and say, see, it's just not going to work for you the way it, you know, the way it says it right there. It's just not going to work for you. You know, God is so merciful, and he gives us space to repent. He just gives us grace. He doesn't say it's okay. He doesn't say, well, you know what, you can go ahead and, you know, live in fornication or do this or do that, and I will just, you know, turn my head to that. But he said, I'm going to deal with you. I'm going to reach out to you. I'm going to convict you. I'm going to send people in your life. I'm going to let things happen to begin to get your attention. I'll maybe hold back some blessings from you just so that you can kind of have a wake-up call. Because really, when you think about judgments, as we're studying the book of Revelation, there's several different aspects to these different seals that are opened and these uh, trumpets that are blown and these vials that are being poured out. Some of them are divine, supernatural gods just sending things down to make things happen. But some of them are just God taking his hand of protection off. You know, when you look at our world today and you see everything that's going on, it's so corrupt. There's so many evil, greedy people that are trying to do things. You wonder, how in the world can we stay civilized and organized the way we are up to this point? It's because it's the hand of God. He's, he's got a, a restrainer that's here on the earth that he's working through. Your prayers, your faith, your obedience, it's a restrainer. Will you pour out your judgment if there's ten righteous? No, no, I won't. But if the ten are gone, <laughs> watch out, right? So God, is he, he wants to work with people a lot. He's working with us a lot. And sometimes in that process, we kind of forget a little bit of how much God really has worked with us. You know, Jesus told, uh, um, there was a, a situation here in, in Luke chapter 7. I'm not going to, I'm just going to paraphrase it. But in Luke chapter 7, verse 36 through 50, Jesus is over at Simon the Pharisee's house and they're having dinner. And the harlot comes in who was, who was, forgiven who was delivered of seven demons she comes in with an alabaster box of oil and she goes down to his feet she's crying she's wiping his feet with her tears um, and her hair she's anointing him she's worshiping him she's just giving him all kinds of affection and love 
<clears throat> and the, the Pharisees are getting offended because they know that this is a harlot. And they're like, if he was a prophet, he would know that this is a harlot. And he would tell her, leave me alone. You're unclean. Get out of here. But then he began to explain the response of love and forgiveness. And it goes, he goes into a parable about somebody who was forgiven a little debt, somebody that was forgiven a bigger debt. Who do you think showed more love? Simon said, well, sure, the one with the bigger debt was the one that would show more love. And then he, kept, then he got real with them. He says, I, you gave me the normal greeting. You gave me the normal seat. You guys didn't give me anything special. and You didn't give me any special treatment. You didn't show me any special affection. You didn't do anything out of the ordinary. You just gave me your, guest, your regular guest honor as though I was just somebody who you were just honoring that evening, that day. But not this woman. She hasn't stopped kissing me since she's been in here. She hasn't stopped wiping her tears off of my feet and, and anointing me. And he began to explain to them how that if you know you've been forgiven of much, you will appreciate much. And so the challenge that sometimes we have is, is as Christians as we've grown up in this culture knowing the love of God, knowing the goodness of God, knowing that he forgives, knowing that he cleanses, and we kind of can get accustomed to that. That can become something that, you know, yeah, that was a big deal, you know, 20, 30 years ago. But is it a big deal today? When you get up this morning, is it the big deal that hits you in the head? God, thank you that you are with me today, that this is another day that I can spend with you, that your hand of blessing is upon me, your favor is upon me. You'll heal me. You'll deliver me. You'll set me free. You'll bless me because you love me that much. And if anything bad happens or comes against me, you'll turn it around and you'll work it for my good. And so what's happening in the churches, and more so in Europe, is they've become complacent. They've just, you know, yeah, 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 God was good to me. You know, it's kind of like, what's that saying? What, it's not what have you done to me, but it's what have you done to me lately. And they, and they get that attitude kind of with God, like, you know, Everybody wants something new and exciting. Everybody wants to change it up. They want to they get something, you know, just different, more, more razzle, more dazzle, more pizzazz, more this, more that. And, and so, but sometimes in the midst of all that, you forget to appreciate the absolutes that are really the things that are real and sustainable and helpful and, and what's really keeping our lives safe, secure, keeping our heads screwed on straight. If I had one thing I could ask God to do, and this is going to sound a little bizarre, but if I had one thing I could ask God to do for each and every one of us as Christians is send each and every one of us to hell for five minutes, just five minutes. I think that would just make us realize how much he has saved us. And yet we walk around, and there's so many people that are going there. Like every day, I'm like, God, how come I can't, I, I got to tell more people. I got to, 
Open me up more. Help me to share more. Help me to, to let people know this. They don't have to go there. This is the acceptable time of the Lord, the acceptable year of the Lord. There's healing for them. There's deliverance for them. Their eyes can be opened. Their hearts can be set free from these things that are, that are plaguing them. Because we're living in the acceptable year of the Lord. This is the time. Jesus said, work while it is day. For the night is coming when no man can work. But we're in the day. We've got the light. The light is still shining bright. Despite what CNN and NBC and ABC has to say about things, and despite how you know we look at stuff and we kind of get a little negative about it. We're, we're starting to say, ah, oh, this is awful and this is bad. And we don't like this leader and that leader and this and that. And all of a sudden it paints a, a real negative picture. But the reality is, is we are still living in the acceptable time, the acceptable Year of the Lord. And in every person's heart, there is a human spirit. And that human spirit, if it is not born again, it's crying out for God. It wants God. And the devil knows that, so what he does is he puts blinders out there, distractions out there, opinions and attitudes out there, so they can't see the goodness of, the God, goodness of God. But if they could see the goodness of God, they would repent. Even Jesus said when he was in one of the towns, he said, if the works that were done in you were done in Sodom and Gomorrah, it would still have remained to this day. If they could have been there during the favorable year of the Lord. So no matter how much the homosexuality and lesbian and transgender stuff ramps up, Jesus already told us, if they can see the works that I do, if they can experience the works of Jesus, the manifestation of Jesus that could change their lives. And so as we're, as we're kind of getting closer to, you know, the darkness is going to get darker. But praise God, the light's going to get brighter. And we're in the light. And I just want, just, that's just what's been coming in me, is that we are still in the acceptable year of the Lord. You know, back in the Bible days, they had this thing called the year of Jubilee. And, and the way God worked the cycles is every seven years, they had to have a Sabbath. And they had to, they are, they had to rest. And then after seven sevens, which is 49 years, then they had to, there was this thing called the Jubilee. And in this Jubilee, basically everything got restored back to the owner. So in other words, if, 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 30 years into this thing, I hit a hard time. I have to sell half my land to Mike. Then in the year of Jubilee, Mike gives me my land back. Thank you, Mike. <laughs> if I hit hard times and I, and I have no way of making money and I need help and I go to Austin and I say, Austin, I want to be your slave. Um, just you know, provide for me and my family. And so I become Austin's slave on, on the 40th year. But then on the 49th year, Austin comes by and says, Jubilee, brother. You're free. Thank you. I'm free. And it was, a, it was really a cool system because it, it 
It protected them from greed. It protected them from monopoly. It protected them from taking over other people and taking advantage of other people because they knew that if they were going to buy it on the 20th year, they were going to own that land for a long time. And if they knew they were buying it on the 49th, 48th year, <laughs> they were only going to have it for a year. So everything had to be calculated that way, but it created some fairness, some honestness, some integrity in their transactions and their dealings. And so this acceptable year is like God saying, I'm restoring to you a jubilee where you don't have to be a slave anymore, where you don't have to be in bondage to some, where you can, things that were taken from you can be restored to you. And so this is the acceptable year of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much right now, Lord, for this time, for this season of acceptable year of the Lord. We thank you, Lord, for your grace that's upon us. Lord, continue to stir in us, Lord, the, the simplicity of the gospel of Christ. That as we go about our business, go about our, our dealings with people throughout the week, Lord, that that spirit of the Lord would come upon us and anoint us to preach the good news to the humble, to the meek, to open the prison doors, to set the captives free, to heal the brokenhearted. Just lift your hands right now and say, Lord, I receive that. I receive that grace. I thank you right now that your favor is upon me, that I am accepted in the beloved. And your hand is reaching out to others around me. And you will use me my voice, my actions, my prayers to release the acceptable year of the Lord to others. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. So I just want to encourage you to um, pick it up. We're still... We still got daylight. We can still keep working. God's still doing things. The power of God is still working. His grace is abounding even more and more. And so he just wants us to put both hands to the plow and don't look back. Amen. Amen. Uh, Amber's going to come on up and take up our offering now. <laughs>